Now, I'm going to be preaching this morning uh, on the blessing of the church as we're continuing this series. And we're going to look at a passage that, quite frankly, uh, we've looked at several times before. It's called Acts chapter 2. Uh, we're going to look at verse 38, but we're also going to look at verse 42 through 47. And this is kind of description of the early church and what was going on in the early church and how things transpired. And so as we look at what does it mean to experience the blessing of the church? And what is the blessing of the church? Uh, you know, there are a lot of different mentalities of, and uh, expectations about what churches should do and what churches should believe. And I was reading one uh, from David Cloud. And David Cloud is a very, very conservative uh, minister. Matter of fact, he calls himself a fundamentalist. So he's uh, very almost hardline. But he uh, shared the story of how this couple came to his church and why they decided not to turn. They, they came for a while, and they were there several months, and finally they just said, um, we're going to have to separate ourselves from the church. And uh, we just feel like the church has become too liberal. We're going to have to basically do it on their own. And when the pastor asked why, this is what they, uh, actually they gave it to him in writing. They said, the pastor, uh, speaking of David Cloud, the pastor did not teach that women should not work outside the home and the wife of the associate pastor worked. That was reason number one. Number two, the church held parties and fellowships on Valentine's Day, Halloween, and Christmas. I can't believe churches do that stuff. The pastor, that was a joke if anybody wants to laugh, just if you're, if you're new here. The pastor allowed a divorced person to work in the bus ministry. The pastor failed to correct a publicly stated statement by uh, a testimony that this person didn't agree with. The pastor failed to do anything about the missionaries who came and told jokes from the pulpit. Though the church took a stand, though the church used King James Version, it was never sufficiently communicated that that should be the only version. Uh, number seven, the pastor would occasionally use humor to break ten tension in preaching, whereas we know the Bible requires sober-mindedness, particularly in the pulpit. The pastor seemed also intent on letting God change people for such things as appearance, such as long hair, earrings, and earrings on men, tattoos, etc., rather than approach them directly. Uh, sometimes people have uh, different estimations about what should occur and what should happen. And the reality of it is, uh, you know, every church is going to be a little bit different, and that's okay. We have multiple denominations, and that's all right, too. A lot of times you hear a lot of debate, and I know there were some statements made from the Catholic Church uh, even this week that uh, who was the original church. And a lot of historians would go back and say the Arminians. Uh, some would say the Orthodox uh, uh, Coptic Church was. Some would say Greek Orthodox. Uh, of course, uh, the, the Vatican would say the Catholic Church is. We really don't know. Uh, we're pretty sure it's probably one of the first two, quite frankly. But... Uh, as far as what church started first denominationally, I, I don't think they really even had denominations back then, to be frank with you. Uh, we don't see any indication of that in Scripture. But that is kind of an evolution of, of us as mankind, and we've taken some of us have taken different positions, whether it be on baptism, uh, whether it be on church government. There are different positions that have been taken, and that's okay. We are always going to interpret things through the power of the Holy Spirit, but sometimes we're going to interpret them a little differently. Remember, we are all fallible as men and women. Uh, we're going to interpret things wrongly sometimes, and sometimes we're just going to put a different slant on it. But the real question is not about the exterior, not about the peripheral, but what are the things that define us as a church? Now, first of all, a lot of times people say, well, 
How do you know the church really even should exist? Aren't we just all a bunch of believers? Isn't that it? And, and there is the universal church. And, of course, Matthew 16, Peter, when Jesus was speaking to Peter upon his confession, when uh, Christ asked him, who are you? He said, you are the son of the living God. You are the Christ. And, P and Jesus said, upon this rock, I shall build my church. Now, the church universal that he was speaking of. But we also know that there's the local church. You know, Augustine said there's strong, the strongest evidence for the church is the longevity of the church. You think about all the ancient civilizations that have come and gone, the great powers that have come and gone, but the church remains. Even though the church has been attacked philosophically, scientifically, uh, ethically, uh, materially, material, uh, excuse me, militaristically, there have been those who sought to uh, exterminate those that were believers, yet the church remains. But... How do we know that we're really supposed to be a part of a local church? Well, I'd start with the New Testament. You see, if you look at the New Testament, uh, Paul's epistles, they were written to church. 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Corinthians was written to the church of Corinth. Galatians was written to the church of Galatia. Ephesians was written to the church of Ephesus. Uh, Philippians was written to the church of Philippi. Colossians was uh, written to the church of Colossae. Thessalonians was written to the Thessalonica church. And then in Acts 6, 5, uh, Paul or Luke tells us about the Jerusalem church. Philemon and Titus and Timothy were all church leaders that their letters were addressed to that Paul was writing there. There's also in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3, we see the letters written to what? The local church of Smyrna, of Pergamum, of Thyatira, of Sardis, of Philadelphia, of Laodicea. That's pretty overwhelming right there for me. That right there indicates to me that at least Paul, at least Luke, at least the disciples, at least the apostles here, they had a local church. And unless someone has given a divine revelation in the meantime, uh, and where we don't see that added to Scripture, certainly, then God intends for the church both universal and local. How else would things like Matthew 18 and 1 Corinthians chapter 5, when the Bible specifically talks about uh, disciplining those in church, reproving those within the body, how else would that occur? Uh, the New Testament makes it clear, and we know that the Bible teaches the local church. Now, if you have your Bibles with me, turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. I'm going to read verse 38, and then I'm going to skip to verse 42, Acts chapter 2. Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then skip down to verse 42. And then this was the earliest group of believers that we have on record. As the church was beginning, this is what they were doing. This was what... Uh, they were called to be a part of. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayers. First, we see that they were devoted as followers. They were devoted to uh, the body of Christ, to the local body. For what? For teaching. The instruction of the prophets. For instruction. For teaching. It was a place where they came and where they were taught. Next, it says for fellowship. That word right there is koinonia, where they came together and they experienced life together. It then says the breaking of bread, which is literally what we call communion today. 
what we call the Lord's Supper. So they came for the they came devoted for teaching, for fellowship, for the breaking of bread, and for prayer. For prayer. Matter of fact, literally it says prayers in the Greek. They came and they put their petitions corporately before the Lord. And everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together, and everything was in common, selling possessions and goods they gave to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple, and they broke bread in their homes together and had glad and sincere hearts. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all people, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, as we look at our church we want to incorporate uh, what our early church fathers, what the Bible gives us as an example of some things that are to occur in the church. Now, we just talked about a few of them. We talked about the teaching aspect. We talked about the fellowship aspect. And we talked about the breaking of bread, the communion aspect. But let's look at four S's, and this is the way that we've kind of defined it. There are four S's uh, outside of, obviously, the teaching and the communion, but four S's that we want you to be a part of here at Rock Point that we believe this text teaches, text teaches as well as the Bible. Number one, spiritual disciplines. When we say spiritual disciplines, that's just a big word for uh, our devotional time with Christ whether that be fasting, whether that be prayer, whether that be studying of Scripture. There are many spiritual disciplines, uh, that of being quiet and still and listening. There are many disciplines that we can work on, but particularly those of prayer and study. We want to ask you and we want to help you as you move in that direction toward Christ to communicate with God and to understand His Word. And that's why we believe equipping is so important. Number two, being a part of a small group. That word koinonia, as they came together, as they went into homes and they broke bread together and they ate together. We feel like that's vitally important. That's why today, right over here on my left, there's a small group's table. We have a, uh, a new interim associate pastor named Kent Sparks, and he, really his primary responsibility is to get you in a small group. So Kent, wait, wave your hand back there, okay? Now, if, if, he doesn't get, if you try and he doesn't get you in one, I want you to let me know, okay? And uh, he has assured me that he's working hard on this, all right? And he really is. But that's, that's a main purpose. We believe so strongly that we wanted to give that to somebody and to make that their main passion. And so I encourage you to come and check out. We have multiple types of small groups. This is the way for you to connect with others in the body. This is a way for you to build meaningful relationships and for you to have people that you can get to know and grow and share in faith. And those meet at various times and are different levels of groups and there are starting brand new ones. So I really want to encourage you in that. Number three is serving. We see that they were serving each other. They were meeting needs of each other, of the body of Christ. Uh, that's one of the things we want to encourage you to to serve the body, to serve the needs that are here. That's why we have that little card in there that tells you uh, about our preschool needs. We need people to serve right there. I ask that you'd prayerfully consider that. And then sharing. It says that they came together and they sold what they needed to meet the needs that were there. And uh, as you give to our church, we are meeting needs. Uh, even in the, next, in the last week and weeks to come, we want to continue to meet needs of people in the community as well as those in Tanzania and around the country uh, as far as propagating the Bible and also them understanding the gospel. But it's important that we share and as we give and make an impact 
through the local church. Those are the four S's, and I encourage you as you look at those to take time to say, am I actively involved in these four aspects? Now, when we also come to the church, when we join a church, there's something else that's vitally important. You know, the mission of our church is loving God with all that we are while making more and better followers of Christ. You've heard me talk about this before, but I think this is so important that we repeat it. There are three different aspects. There are three different views that we can take when we come to Scripture and understanding Scripture. The first one is the tenets of the faith. These are kind of the non-negotiables. These are what define us. This is what we say, you know what, we believe that this is true and right, and we don't waver on these issues. Now, you have a little sheet, uh, and it, as a matter of fact, there's a membership sheet under, I've got to be careful how I say that, underneath your chair, and uh, if you want to pull that out, I encourage you, you can pull that out. And you'll see a, a section on there where it says, Our Beliefs. Uh, and these are our tenets. So you can also find this on the website. Our Statement of Faith. These are our beliefs, our Statement of Faith. Current, concerning Scripture, that we believe uh, the Word of God is infallible without error. We believe it's divinely inspired. We believe that concerning God, that when we say God, we mean God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So when I say Jesus, I am making reference to God. When I say Holy Spirit, I'm making reference to God. There are three in one. They're the Trinity is the term that we use, but we believe in the divinity of Christ and the divinity of the Holy Spirit. That Jesus Christ was perfect. He was God's Son. He came as God in the flesh and dwelt here on earth. And He experienced temptations just like we would, but yet without sin. And then because He was perfect, and because the Bible tells us in Hebrews 9.22, there can be no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood, He became that perfect sin offering. Before, they were, they were still in a system where they would have to bring uh, animals to be sacrificed. They would have to go through the yearly time of atonement. But Jesus came, and He covered the price for our sin. There had to be the shedding of blood. There had to be a price paid for the forgiveness of sin. And Christ took it upon Himself. And our account is paid in full when we receive that grace and forgiveness and we recognize who Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, is. The Holy Spirit, which works in our lives to transform the believer's life after we come to know Christ. The power that God has given to us for discernment and direction and power. Humanity, recognizing that we are all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one, the Scripture tells us. And that man is a sinner in need of forgiveness and he cannot save himself. Salvation, we believe that that's only through the person of Jesus Christ. It is by grace that we're saved through faith. We can't do enough deeds. We can't work enough. It's because of His goodness. It's because of His grace that we receive our salvation. And then concerning the Christian life, we believe that that is a continual process. We are actually saved in three manners. We have been saved from our past sins, we are being saved right now, and we will ultimately be saved from this world. Then, as far as concerning the church, uh, we believe, of course, in the church universal, but also, and when I say universal, okay, nobody go out and say, he's a universalist. All right, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that all believers are a part of, of the church of Christ, okay, all those who profess Jesus as Lord. But then there are local bodies, just as we describe throughout the New Testament. And then concerning the resurrection in the future, that Jesus will come again uh, one day and He will take all those who know Christ as their Savior to be with Him, both the dead 
and the living. Those are the tenets. And it's important that we understand those. It's important that we know those. Now, as we continue, I want to show you a couple other things that I think are important. Uh, and as we look at these, recognize that these are, are a little bit different than tenets. First of all, they're called Second group's called teachings. We've talked about this before, but teachings are uh, what kind of church government do you have? Well, we have an elder system, and sometimes people say, why do you have an elder system? Well, in, Matt, or in Acts 15:23, Paul and Barnabas, the Bible tells us as they started churches, they appointed elders and put them in charge. I believe it is a biblical principle. That's why 1 Timothy and Titus speak of elders and deacons, deacons being diakonos, servants, and uh, we have another ministry that, that uh, takes that place that pointed at uh, Rock Point, and we have a different name for that, uh, which is a semantical issue in a lot of ways. But uh, as far as the governing ruling body, it is the elder body. And we do believe that is a New Testament principle. I'm not speaking out against other manners of, of how people govern church. That's why you have different denominations. I'm not saying they're wrong. I'm saying this is where we've come to place. This is how we see Scripture. Love to talk to you about it. Probably not going to change, but would love to talk to you about it. But that's where we are. Unless you can change a few verses in Scripture, which uh, then I won't listen to you. Uh, I won't be able to. Uh, I probably wouldn't be able to accept it. Quite frankly, uh, I'm always interested to talk and to and to debate over it. But this is to me a fairly clear principle of Scripture and understanding. Uh, number three, I know some of you are mad. God bless you for coming. We can talk later and I'll give you a hug. Taste. Taste. This is the big one. You know, it really most people really aren't that bent out of shape on the tenants. You know, let's just be honest. A lot of people never look at those. They're important. That's where we ought to start. Some people get kind of bent out of shape on teachings because you know, maybe we take a different mode on baptism or maybe we do communion not enough or too much. I understand. Uh, those are all teaching principles. But taste issues. What kind of music do we do? Well, you know, my mother's going to be here the next hour, and I can tell you what's going to happen when we get home. You need to do more hymns. Uh, that's because she's done hymns all her life. She plays piano at her church, and, um, and you know, and she's 74 years old, and that's, that's what she loves, and I, I love some of the hymns too. Um, but we do just one or two. And, uh, and those of you who've been coming here, I know that, and you've hopefully come to a place where that's going to be okay. And every once in a while I'll have some people tell me, why do you do any hymns? I hate it when you do hymns. And I, I just say, you know, we still want to resonate. There's some good doctrine there. There's some good things. Uh, it'll be okay. You can get over it, all right? So uh, just recognize that these are taste issues in the type of music that you do. And uh, when you start to make it a tenet, uh, then you've really misplaced the emphasis of what Scripture and what the church is all about. Uh, you know, another manner of taste, of course, would be uh, small groups versus Sunday school. Bible translations, believe it or not, is really more of a taste issue. I mean, if we really wanted to, sometimes people say, well, you know, I use the NASB. It's the most closely to the Greek language. And usually those aren't people who've even studied Greek, by the way. That's, they, they heard it or read it in a brochure one time. But uh, really, if you wanted to get it literal, I've got, I've got Young's literal translation. And it's very difficult to read because, see, the New Testament was written, particularly Paul, it was written in letters. And there are a lot of times we have to add articles. As a matter of fact, sometimes Paul misspelled words and he used incorrect grammar. And so... Uh, it's okay. Remember, God inspired him to write. He didn't go, all right, now, Paul, A, B, all right. He had divinely inspired Paul, but it was okay for us to go in and correct the grammar. It's okay to spell the words correctly, okay? So when you start looking at that and you realize there were some articles left out, because, again, Paul didn't know, I'm going to write some Bible today. I don't think he did. I know some will disagree, but I don't think he thought, I'm writing Bible today. But God divinely inspired him and divinely inspired these books 
And so when we look at Bible translations, there are some that may take a little bit too, too much liberality, but uh, in essence, most of them are pretty close, and most of them are pretty accurate. Uh, clothing, what we wear, those are all matters of taste. But as we look at our local body, what, what is it that's really required to be a part of Rock Point? Well, first would be this, belief that you've accepted Christ. Acts 2.38, when they ask, ask Peter, what shall we do? And this is what he said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That word believe, pisteo, literally means to adhere, commit to. It's not simply mental acknowledgement. It's a full embracing. It's a full commitment. Commit yourself to Jesus Christ and recognize that Him crucified is the offering, is the grace that you have been looking for. It's the, where the forgiveness and the relationship to God comes from. And then the second thing he tells them, be baptized. That's important. If you're a believer and you haven't been baptized, then you're not following a biblical principle. You're basically in disobedience to God. So it's important that we first know Christ, that we believe. Secondly, that we be baptized as a testimony, as an example of what Christ asks us to do. Just as I wear a wedding ring on my finger is a testament of my commitment to my wife, so is baptism a testament, a testimony, a wedding ring of salvation to Christ. And then thirdly, about the business. We go back to the four S's, the spiritual disciplines, the small groups, the serving, and the sharing. We ask that if you decide to become a part of Rock Point, you may not be able to start all those today, I understand that, but that you make a commitment to participate and to be a part. I think it is vitally important. Now, let's take a moment. And let's just run through this real quickly together, just if you have any questions. And again, after the service, there will be folks here. And then after the 1245 service, if you want to come back, we'll sit down and walk through any of these that you like. You see the first page. It has a beautiful picture. It gives you our vision, our values. And we've already talked about those. Then you see the statement of faith. Then you see our leadership structure. You see who, who's on staff and all that good stuff. Then you get to the next page, and it says contact information. We'd ask that you fill this out. And then you choose an area that you'd be willing to serve in. If you need to write one in, then uh, that would probably be acceptable too. But if you would, take a moment and fill that out. Uh, now, if you've already filled one of these out and you're already a member, that's fine. Now, if, we, if you haven't been getting emails from you, that means we lost your information when we made the computer, computer transfer, so please do it again. Then you see the experience, anything that you've had experience doing before, and then you see my beliefs. That's a vitally important part. I ask that you take that and you fill that out individually. And don't worry about it if you don't get the exact right answer. Uh, we're not looking for some magic word there. I understand uh, that sometimes those are things that are hard to communicate. Just do the best you can, and uh, we'd be happy to, to talk with you. And then there's a church covenant here, membership covenant, that we've, we ask that uh, part of being a part of a local church is not only to participate, but to create a spirit of unity and community. And so we ask that you make a commitment not to be divisive, and we take that very seriously. Uh, and then there was also supposed to, there also is another page typically that kind of talks a little bit about um, our history of our church and how we came to be. And um, you've heard that a bunch before, but I'll give you the brief version. We started about five years ago uh, meeting in homes and then moved to the location in uh, Lantana, the elementary school over there. From there, uh, we moved on to Briar Hill. And God miraculously uh, provided a piece of land uh, through the giving of our members and just through God's divine favor. Uh, there's not anybody in this room that can really take credit for that land. I mean, I, I don't know if there's anybody on earth other than God. It's one of those times you look and you go, 
That was just God. And uh, just a, a neat deal how God just uh, supplied a piece of land that was not uh, available for sale except for a whole 360-acre tract. And for someone who wasn't planning on selling it, and God just spoke to them. We just happened to be there at the right time, the right moment, and God spoke to them. And we got a great deal. Uh, I mean, it was a God deal kind of thing. And we were just thankful for what God did. And then the building, when we looked at that, that it was financially, as we looked at what we had, it just wasn't going to work. There was no way we were going to be able to do it. And we found one bank that said, if you can get this level of commitments and this much money up front, and we looked at it and go, I remember Brian Blendon looking at it and saying, man, you know how much money that is a person? I go, don't even tell me. I don't even want to know. Uh, let's, just, let's just pray and try God, all right? Let's just trust God and move on. And uh, it really was a miracle. Uh, and people made tremendous sacrifice. And of course, we've got the opportunity to do one more building here, just a 5,000-square-foot building that will put us uh, in the not having to build for a long time, hopefully, uh, that we're going to give you the opportunity to participate in. And if you didn't get to participate in that last one, that was just a neat miracle of God. We're going to give you another opportunity. As a matter of fact, this one we're going to try to pay cash for. Uh, we we want to take another step of faith. And so I ask that you prayerfully be considering that and thinking about that in the days ahead. So as we look at what the church is, how the church was designed, and who we are as Rock Point, you have to ask yourself this question. God, are you calling me to be a member here? Are you calling me to be a part of this local body? I can tell you this. He wants you to be a part somewhere. And if it's not here, that's fine. Uh, I'm not going to beg you. I want the Holy Spirit to lead you. But I can tell you He's leading you somewhere, and you've got to define where that is through prayer. And if it's here, then we want to ask you to fully engage. We want to see the Holy Spirit work in your life. And we believe for that to happen, you need to participate. You need to be involved. And you need to be a part as the Spirit of God moves uh, through those four S's. So we would strongly encourage you to prayerfully consider that. You know, I was reading a story this week about a 29-year-old guy named Josh Lander in uh, Wisconsin. And he just, he's going to be graduating um, from college uh, in uh, December. No, excuse me, he just graduated just this past May. And uh, he's been going to school since he was 18. And uh, he was almost at the 12-year mark, and they were interviewing him. I don't know why you get interviewed for things like that now, but they were asking him about it, and he said, they said, well, how do you feel about graduating? He said, you know, if I could stay, if I had any money at all, I would, but I have got so much debt, and they won't lo loan me any more money. He goes, I love college. I love this life. Nobody has any money. I get to sleep a lot. I get to do what I want, and I would just keep doing this the rest of my life if somebody would loan me some more money. You know, we look at that, and we think, Hello, Josh. <laughs> time to get up. Time to get in the real world. Time to get out there and work and make a little impact. Time to get up. Can I tell you, for some of us, we need to get up. We need to wake up. We need to step up. It's easy to just do the church shopping, the church attending, and just kind of bounce around. But at some point, we've got to make the determination, will I be a part Am I going to be someone who makes an impact or am I going to be someone who just sits back? You know, when I get to the end and when I get to heaven, I hope as I get before my Savior, I hope that I don't have to wonder why didn't I do more or why did I miss that opportunity. And not that all is not going to be joy, not that all is not going to be wonderful, but we are laying crowns in heaven. We are laying rewards in heaven by what we do here on this earth to impact others with the gospel of Jesus Christ. My question for you today is, are you making an impact?